This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. We're back! <gasps> like the Premier League. Oh, and how the world has changed since we last podded, Dave. As well guys tweeted us, my curler friends are mocking me with taunts of sport of the future <laughs> after the US men won gold while our US men's soccer team sits out the World Cup year. Hashtag sad face. It's true. Curling, sport of the future. Don Garber, curling, it, get on it. It makes for good television, Rog. The <sighs> curling is magic. It is. Unfortunately, it's now becoming the hipster sport of New York City. Suddenly, everybody... Producer Lexi, I hear she's curling now. Yeah. Doing a lot of curling. Ray Hudson apparently going to do the commentating for being when they pick up... <laughs> the Spanish, Spanish Curling <laughs> League. <laughs> oh, but we're all focused on El the Curlico. football. Premier League, back. Yeah. MLS, coming back. The World Cup, Davo. Yeah. Not so far away. Bit of a bonkers time for us. Yeah. Because we're gearing up for our book which we just got the cover of, first tweed book cover in our nation's history. Yeah. And having a book, Dave, we yeah. didn't know this when we signed up to do the book. There was so little we knew. And you've done books before. I've yeah. never done a book. Yeah, but I don't know how you didn't know. We did the book. Yeah. But we now have to, having done the book, sign book plates for Amazon and Barnes & Noble pre-orders. I can't believe 5, you're saying this. 5,000 of them. 5,000 of them. Yeah, I literally just counted. That was going to be my reveal to you as I was going to tell you that we had 5,000. David's way ahead of me. David's way ahead of me. For the first time ever, yeah. for the first time ever in my life, yeah. on anything Men in Blazers yeah. related, I am further ahead on a project than you are. I've never done it. But I, I just say it's so stressful. Picture boxes after boxes after boxes. They come in waves. No, we have 10 boxes with 500 sheets in each one. And oh. we've got to sign 5,000 pieces of paper. Right now, I'd describe as signing book plates. I will Occasionally be a- eating, signing book plates. Sleeping, dreaming of book plates. I have book plate signing dreams. Nervous, stressful book plate signing dreams. I love it. This is my favorite part of the book writing process. Your life is carved out because for book I plate like signing. repetitive manual labor. DIY. I don't like things. So I like DIY. I like grilling. I like painting stuff. Like I'm not not watercolors. I just like painting walls. I like. I, I would love bricklaying. I sometimes fantasize about bricklaying. I enjoy manual labor. So just sitting there with a stack, and I've got a system now. I take the stack of five hundred. Yeah. And I divide it into ten stacks of fifty. I enjoy that bit. You I do. enjoy evening them all out and signing them and getting them on my little round conference system. table. Yeah, system. I got a system. You and I approach this differently. System, already. system, system. I get them into fifty stacks and I just like I love it and do my signature. Bam, 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 bam. I've I've got so much better at my signature, Rog. I mean, it still doesn't make <laughs> it. It still looks like sort of hieroglyphics or some sort of Japanese kanji. It it looks very odd. My signature. You'd never know that it was Especially in your assistant Gab's handwriting, no, the ones not. I've seen, to nope. be candid. No, not at all. This is mine. Every single one is mine. And you can tell because everyone's a bit different. But every now and then, I nail my signature. And I, I call in assistant Fran. <laughs> and I'm like, look at this one, Fran. Nailed look how pretty it. that nailed it. <laughs> Smashed it. Smashed it. I like it. I get very proud of my good signatures. Can I just say, your, that's your system. Yeah. My What's system. Yeah, you miss a stage out. That I've, the stage I've got to where I get the 500 out of the box. And I put them on the table. Yeah. And I'll look at a stack of 500 book plates, each with yeah. Davo on, because you've been doing, you've yeah. been taking the lead on this. And I put the stack there, and a stack of 500 book plates. It's enormous. 
It is enormous. There are lower rise buildings in Washington, D.C. <laughs> than a stack of, of 500 it's book It's high plates. quality paper. And when I look at it, I break down and start sobbing. <laughs> You've got to be distracted occasionally by the beauty of some of my signatures. And then which is taking some of the more good time, do you think, Dave? Seriously. Yeah. Writing the book mm-hmm. or signing the book plate. I mean, I can tell you, I think probably writing the book did take me more time, but I must say, I find, <laughs> I find signing the books far more creatively satisfying. <laughs> I've got a lot more out of it, personally. It's like zen gardening for you. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's, it's, it is literally the greatest, well, second greatest happiness in my world right now. I did think I would give my piles to my assistant, Bradley Feldman, uh-huh. but early returns from him, he'd sign them all Bradley Feldman. <laughs> He did make a joke yesterday. He said that to me. And he said that he'd, unfortunately, those books wouldn't be worth quite as much money. Yeah, but I'd, probably I'd, more. I'd pay for a Bradley probably Feldman more. Probably more, because you, you were a philatelist like me, yeah. a stamp collector oh, back in the I day. I love philatelists. Which stamps were the rarest? Oh, the ones that were mistakes. Yeah. The Bradley Feldman Penny Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just say one thing, David? Yeah. My biggest problem in this book signing, if the publisher's listening, the honor of signing book plate. Yeah. If the publisher's not listening, the debacle. And fiasco of signing book plates is that I thought like I don't I love work I love working I'm never happier than when we're working I'm like a dog that's been let off a manic labradoodle let off the leash in the park I love projects I love working I love filling my time with with what I pretend is meaning but, but you also like complaining about work a lot. Oh no! Nah. You like you you do you like the act of complaining about how much I do say work is, I, and then you do it, and you make it even harder for yourself, and you do more than is necessary. We're working quite hard at the moment, I'd just say. <laughs> but the notion of doing book plates, just mindless task, and I don't mean to disparage the book plate signers union. There's many people probably find I'm it very professionally. I just find it like it's just meaningless time. So I thought I would be able to sign while I watch Netflix with my wife. We always try and have a series where we have a common bond. There's different kinds of relationships. A lot of people I know, a lot of people I know watch completely different shows to their partners. They'll watch yeah. on different devices, different rooms, different. I find that, you know, that's one way to go. One way to go, individualism within collectivism. I believe like in common cultural touch points, which is why I've kind of pretended and fumbled my way through uh, Hold the Midwife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's great. And traded that for shows that I like, like, you know, Gamora. Are you uh, sure it's called name. Hold the Midwife? Is it called Hold the Midwife? That's an amazing... By the way, if there is a show called Hold the I'm Midwife, I want to know what it's about, because that would be a fascinating show. It was Hold the Midwife. Call the Midwife. Life. I think Hold the we- Midwife was the sequel. <laughs> After the, Call the Midwife. It was the prequel. You call her. I think, I think, <laughs> you call her, and then you hold her. <laughs> I think it was the prequel about when she was born. What's, I'm, what's I'm, Vanessa doing watching Call the Midwife? Well... It's a, just it's doesn't a, strike me. She's one of the most smartest, most intellectual women I've ever met in my life. Are you telling me? Do you think she's bluffing me that she's enjoying it too? <laughs> yeah, somewhere. She, she on, thought you chose On it. her podcast, she's just been like, and we had oh. to watch. We had to watch Call the Midwife. Oh. So I wanted to share yeah. the wife thing and the book signing from my wife, my soccer wife, you, Michael Davis. My t- I want to combine my wife, my soccer wife, Michael Davis. Yeah. And I thought, I'll sign them while I'm watching the show. Yeah, that would be a horrible experience for your wife. 
so annoying. Like all the pieces of paper, like it's, for me, it's, just it's, cr- me it's fairly annoying somebody eating well. an apple oh. next to you when you're yeah, trying to watch. So something. true. I hate the apple oh, eater. The and, and do not apple eat with me when you're watching television. Don't chew ice. Don't chew, get oh, out. I chew ice. I know. Get out often. if you want to chew ice. But not when we're not when we're on the sofa watching television yeah. with each other. We don't yeah. Netflix and chill very often. God, that'd be so great when we live in Boca together when we're in our nineties and we just end up on a couch. <laughs> staring at an empty old screen, men in blazers chewing ice old I'll eat an apple if I want to old men in diapers um, so the show we're watching at the moment yeah is Berlin Babylon yeah and what I realised is it a, actually called Berlin Babylon or is it called, called some hold, other combination of Berlin Babylon it's astonishing television yeah. it's genuinely astonishing I'm not quite sure what the hell is going on all the time but I have not seen a show which is more beautifully shot does it and not have subtitles that's the problem yeah Subtitles, when you're trying to sign book plates, if it was an English show, like M- Mrs. Maisel, yeah. I could like tune in, tune out, sign, 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 tune in, tune out. The subtitles demand your constant attention or else you are just a goner. And I've not been able to sign four Rog, book plates during an hour of Berlin Babylon, four book plates at this rate, Rog, David. I sign I'm in every bo- meeting I'm in. I'm meeting, I'm talking, I'm signing. Some of them are Rembrandt's, mate. Like it's a... Dull, repetitive task, Rog. You don't need your full concentration to write your signature, your autograph, which you've been writing, I imagine, for half your life. I've been signing mine in watercolour, so <laughs> maybe I should move to gouache. You did drop a bomb. Yeah. You said it's your second greatest pleasure of your life right now. Well, you do have to put humans first, especially little ones. <sighs> last night, I don't know if you saw on my Instagram last night, I went and saw seventh and eighth grade girls private school playoff basketball that is the next curling st luke's jj (laughs) came on uh when i got there they were losing 48 to 8 just before halftime who were they playing the clippers after halftime they got way closer they ended up losing 78 to 14 jj made two baskets that were the luckiest freakiest shots of all time but just so much fun watching her that little body her little legs and just throw that ball a mile sounded like you went to a remake shot by shot of liverpool Against West Ham, but we will break that one Bobby down Chompers. further down in the pod. We just actually celebrated, I should say, our 102nd Men in Blazers episode, which is somewhat of a milestone. I mean, in the most Men in Blazers move of all time, we simply didn't realise our 100th episode had come and gone, yep. nor did NBCSN. No. So I'm still not sure no, we are actually on their air. <laughs> we haven't seen anybody from NBC in a long time. J-Dubs tweeted out yesterday, which uh-huh. I loved late night. He said, I cannot believe we've been allowed to do this 102 times, <laughs> which kind of just, just captures everything. We do have another show. Yeah. Again on NBCSM, but don't tell them. 5.30 Eastern time on Thursday after Arsenal crush Manchester City. And special, revenge. yeah, revenge is ours. Who's with me? Oh, um, special guest, big special guest, right? Big special guest, Arlo, Arlo White, the uh, Lord of the Gantry, candid, yeah, really open, really. I found him just very revealing in his most revealing interview yet. We also have another bloody show Monday. Yeah, what is why? this? NBCSN doing a madness, yeah. We're on again with special guest, Arsenal fan David O'Yellowo. Oh, I can't love him. Cannot wait to be in his loving arms. Some more bad news. The bad news just keeps coming and coming and coming, GFOPs. We've got a live show in your quasi hometown, David. Yeah, why are we doing that? Los Angeles. Oh, I love that. The first time we've ever appeared in your in your great city. Oh, I can't wait for that. May 26th. Yeah. We are at the East Theatre downtown. Tickets go on sale 
Uh, next week, advanced tickets to GFOPs come out this Friday if you subscribe to our newsletter, The Raven, which you can sign up for via our website now. And also save the date, May 15th, May bloody 15th, the 5th annual Golden Blazer <gasps> in New York City. Wow. Which will give out the most coveted blazer not given out in a slightly dumpy golf cabin to yeah. someone who loves the sport we love. Soccer. In the nation we love. Soccer. America. 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 Oh. I got it, Rush. I got it. I just like doing the same thing again and again and again. I'm just going to say soccer. Okay. Don't be there. One okay, more Rush. time. One more time. Soccer. Oh. Okay, we've got a pack show. We're going to sip sweet fluorescent colored energy nectar while recapping Man City's 3 0 beatdown of Arsenal in the Carabao Cup. We break down Jose Mourinho and Manchester United's massive top four 2 1 win over Chelsea. Just 2 2 on aggregate. And we offer our weekly sacrifices to scoring deities Harry Kane and Mo Salah Rog, plus MLS and the She Believes Cup. Oh, to the football, David. Yeah. And I raise this beer. Yeah. Oh, to the news that Sunderland are up for sale. Wow. Poor Black Cats fans. American owner. Ellis Shaw is selling them for $1, mm. as long as you take on the club's debt. So what I'm saying is, Dave, GFOPs, let's, let's buy Sunderland. Have a whip around. Let's buy Sunderland. Yeah. Hit me on the Venmo, yeah. GFOPs. It's exactly what that club need. I think their big problem was just having one American owner who didn't know what he was doing. You can solve that by getting thousands, thousands. of American owners who didn't know what they're doing. Let's buy Sunderland, GFOPs. If only so Lyndon Gooch can play every bloody week. How much money do you think we could raise? For buying Sunderland? Yeah. I think at this time of economic uncertainty and austerity, probably loads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll try. What do okay. you think? How much money do you think? I we think get? we could, well, I think from our GFOPs, I think we could probably raise a few hundred thousand. Yeah. I think you and I could make some calls. Yeah. Probably raise a few more million. I think you've meant some calls to launder that money. Yeah. The problem is, is that I imagine Sunderland have quite a lot of debt. Yeah. Or the prospect of a lot of debt. So seriously, how much money do you think we could raise? I think you and I could get to like, I think we get people we know stuff. We get to like 25, 30 million. You do? Yeah. Do you think we could buy Sunderland with that? Or do you think we could buy the city of Sunderland with that? I'd rather buy something else other than Sunderland with 25 to 30 I'd million. I'd love to buy. I'd love a to jet invest. would a pie be factory. one of the things I'd like to buy. Oh, buy factory. <laughs> Love a pipe factory. Okay, Rog, here we go to the football. Man City 3, Arsenal 0. Pep wins his first English football trophy in a game that looked more kickabout in the park than cup final. Goals from Sergio Aguero, Vincent Company, and David Silvercap. An incisive victory for the league leaders in global football's most caffeinated competition. Putting George to bed last night, and he asked me a, a question that's just impossible to answer that children sometimes throw at their parents. She said, Dad, what is the Carabao Cup? Oh, you mean you don't know the fantastic Thai energy drink manufactured by the Carabao Tawandang Company Limited? Do not know. Maybe we should buy that with 30 million if yeah. we raise it, Dave. It's a truly suboptimal brand bolted onto a truly suboptimal competition. We should make clear, by the way, this was very symbolically powerful. The game itself, not so much. The tournament itself, out of the three, probably least interesting of all. The League Cup. Do you remember why it was created in the first place? No, no idea. It must have been for TV. 1960. Yeah. Midweek competition. Yeah. Designed when there wasn't European competition that yeah. kind of et up that part of the, the calendar of television. Television was crying out for 
live, anything. And the great invention that was the turning point was the floodlight. English football suddenly had floodlights. Think yeah. Wrigley. Baseball at Wrigley could only be played during the day when Wrigley had no floodlights. Suddenly, floodlights meant night baseball. In, yeah. in the same way, every English club is like, we can do the night thing now. And they're like, okay, the League Cup. Ding. And it was invented. I mean, it, now it's become largely unloved. It's like the appendix or the wisdom teeth. Future generations will not have either of those things well, it's been because called, it's outrun by modern living. And it's been called so many things over the years. It's had so many different names. We called it the Cuppity Cup 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 for a while because we just lost track of what every, it was called. So the Milk Cup, I think, was yeah. its first. Oh, the Milk Cup was just Littlewoods Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, the Rumbelows, Rumbelows Cup. It's, Cup. Been, it's like had more names than... Um, the Coca-Cola Cup, I think it was. It had a lot of different names. More names than your average Arsenal youth prospect. It's yeah. an astonishing uh, piece of silverware. This game, it meant something symbolic, something positive to City fans with big pep fuel dreams and a lot to be candid in a negative way, unfortunately, for Arsenal fans. And we'll discuss both. But football-wise, City didn't really have to play more than 60% of their powers to batter Arsenal. They were just dominant in every phase of play. They took the lead with possibly the most done Manchester City goal of the season. So bloody direct. Route one. An assist on the goal from Claudio Bravo with his long punt-up field, which totally befuddled, totally confused Mustafi. I do mm. not know what has happened to that man who simply elected under the long ball to keel over, a bit like Arsenal's season. The goal akin to watching all of Wenger's greatest hits played at the same time. There was a bit of self-sabotage, meekness, soft centre, self-loathing, and Aguero was left with a straight run-in on David Ospina's goal. Cheeky chip, 1-0, Possibly the most Wenger out of goals we'll ever see. It, it was really game over. Arsenal were wheezing. Savage stat. David Ospina out past Ramsey, Wilshire and Ozil. And that second goal, David. Only memorable because Vincent Company scored it. The He's Cup. back. He's oh, back, Rog. We've seen so little of Vincent Company. Oh, but we love him so, David. And he reminded us why we love him. The passion, the leadership, the tenacity. The League Cup might not mean a whole hell of a lot. But for a player who's battled injury more than his opponents, 10 years at City, 41 separate injuries, clearly meant a huge amount to him, David. Charged towards City's fans of ebullience. What a warrior he is in the he moment is, of victory. He is a warrior. You always want to win a final, though, Rog. You always want to win a final. Wouldn't know. <laughs> well, no, you've been to a final and lost a final. You know the feeling of losing a final. Yep. You want to win a final. You want to win a trophy. Man City clearly wanted it. Yeah, there was a remarkable piece of camera work after that third City goal netted by Bull David Silva. The camera zoomed in on a young eight or nine years old Arsenal fan, the age in which lost just, I remember it myself, it feels like everything. I, I remember that level of pain. I remember when it feels like your whole world is imploding and the poor kid did what he, any kid would do in that situation. His bottom lip went, he started the sob, it's like the Northwestern fan meme style. This team of heroes, 27 points behind City in the league, given a bare bottom spanking in a final. I felt for him. Second of all, the pain really captured that that's felt by all Arsenal fans right now. It's felt by a lot of Arsenal fans. I never cried as a kid. but I've never cried over a match that other people... There is this like dangerous thing in football, I think, when you think that it says something about you, how your team play. Too many football fans go insane when their team wins as though somehow it pumps them up and it says something about them as a character when they lose. I think you've just got to find a way to enjoy football. I felt sorry for that kid. I, I don't want my son to feel that bad like when Chelsea lose or when England lose or 
the US or Sweden or Mexico or any of its other countries, that would be terrible. I do live through my team, and Everton's just abject mediocrity validates my sense of self in a very reinforcing cycle. But you tell me every week them. you don't care anymore. You're immune to it. You're numb to it. You tell me every week. But you're not. You're not numb, Rog. It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't say anything about you. Sometimes you feel things far too much, Davo, and it just feels like numbness. If they ever win a trophy, it's going to be the most devastating thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah, it'd be like when Culture Club stopped being an indie outsider band and went straight to number one. And I, I've said this on the pod before. My mum was like, oh, it's fantastic. You're Culture Club number one in the charts with Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And I said, mum, they're not my culture club anymore. They're the world's culture club. I wouldn't know how to deal if Everton was successful. <laughs> I like wallowing in failure, my own Everton's. It's incredibly reciprocal. Did you, were you really straight up with GFOPs when you converted everyone to America's team and converted so many American fans who were neutrals to Everton? I feel a certain responsibility <laughs> as they express their pain, frustration, disappointment week by week. And I say to them on Twitter, and I say to you now, stay the course. It's a long ball game. But from an Arsenal perspective, where are they right now, David? Because they're either in stasis, going backwards, or net same effect, being left behind, which feels like reverse. And it's happening, I'll say this, week after week, month after month. And the fans in the seven stages of grief vacillating between fury and then anger at anyone who points at it from the outside. I mean, Arsenal fans, you need to know we are not in control of the facts of your season and the club narrative that seems to repeat itself week after week. We, we do have to talk about it on a weekly basis, just like we do with the Delhi diving Spurs fans. We're, we're not talking about it because we love talking about it. It's boring to have to keep talking about the same thing, but it happens, and to not talk about it is denial. But for Arsenal, they've, they're playing City midweek again, Dave, you cruel Premier League writers. How do you understand them right now? Is it Europa League or bust? Is this Wenger's final death rattle? I think with Arsenal, you have to get out. By the way, I think with all football teams, you've got to get out of the weekly obsession of the narrative of the weekly story. Remember, just two weeks ago, many Arsenal fans were marvelling over the new Arsenal, the Mkhitaryan, the Obama Yang. It, that was two weeks ago. Honestly, two weeks ago. We were marvelling over the new Arsenal, the new dawn Arsenal. Now we're going to go and play the game. Now we'll go and show everyone. And it changes too quickly, and it's too temporary. Arsenal are in a long term. Yet They won the FA Cup last season. It doesn't really... It doesn't really matter in terms of the long term of it. They are a club. And by the way, I think Chelsea, this isn't an anti-Arsenal thing. Chelsea have a lot of the same problems. Chelsea have deep problems behind the scenes. Arsenal have deep problems behind the scenes. And they're still, as an institution, as a club, they're not doing anything to go and fix it. You would say they were the, you know, in Arsene we trust. You don't hear that voice very often from the fans. The fans, I think, have gone complete 100%. We need a change. We need to change. We need a change. It's Europa League or bust. For me right now. I mean, otherwise, medium term, when you pull the lens back, you're just seeing Wenger rolling that rock like Sisyphus up the hill over and over again. And then almost loving the pain as it rolls back down over his toes. If he doesn't win the Europa League, we've got to be witnessing the end game. But the I beginning of Arsenal, the Yergi Love, or please be true, Arsenal, the Brendan Rodgers era. Or even the Mikel Arteta years, right? But I don't think it makes any difference if they win the Europa League. I don't think it changes the fortunes of that team. They just qualify for a competition that they can't succeed in, that they can't win at this point. So it doesn't matter. In fact, it might be better for them not to win the Europa League and to finally get to a realisation and like look at the club and, and think about what they're going to go and do. 
there's been something very functional about Arsenal in terms of how loyal they've been to Arsene Wenger, the fact that he's built something. He built this incredible youth system, built an amazing scouting system. They play beautiful football. It's been the opposite. The stadium. Yeah, this new stadium. It's been the opposite of what's happening at Chelsea. They've still got their stadium to go and redevelop. They've switched managers. It's been a, a revolving door. But it has, it has become a similar but opposite dysfunction. It's also situational and contextual. When you look at what's going on up in Manchester, when you look at what's going on just across the road in North London at Tottenham, Arsenal have to do something. They have to make some kind of major change. And it's probably not just at manager level, Rog. There has to be an overall governance change in the way that that team is governed. In the age of sovereign wealth and Russian billionaires and you know, public companies, there's got to be some difference at Arsenal. Yeah, when we run Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> when we, with, 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 with three and a half thousand GFOPs. That's going to be democracy in the Premier League. Ugh. I love your point though. Chelsea, a revolving door. Arsenal, overly loyal. Both meeting at the same point, which is cultural instability. Absolutely. For City, the dreams of the quadruple ended midweek. Wigan Athletic, Manchester City's now FA Cup Dragon Glass. The Carabao, a first trophy in English football for Pep Guardiola, who looks suitably underwhelmed. Premier League in the bag. He's won the Carabao crap. Mm. He's got bigger fish to fry. All eyes now to the Champions League. Only one English team has won a treble. Sir Alex's Manchester United in 1999. I know Mourinho tried to claim he won a treble last year, but talking about Jose, he did win the League Cup. We've talked about this a lot as his first trophy at Chelsea to kickstart just the winning culture that then ensued. Do you see a parallel? The habit of winning that is the Carabao Cup almost being lighting the fuse on a bottle rocket. Well, I think especially after that loss to Wigan that was ugly in all senses of the word. And I think that took a little bit of the sheen off Manchester City this season. Not so much the loss or being out of that competition, but the manner in which they lost. It wasn't pretty. Uh, So I think it was important. I think it's great to win any final. You don't want to leave any of your top four or top six rivals like with uh, with a trophy so I think it's very good but do it's we, not like now Man City can win the Premier League as you say like they've already won that but do we talk do we talk dynasty I mean this week Pep agreed to a new contract 28 million dollars a year until 2021 is the word dynasty kind of lolloped around far too commonly for you well yeah and also we were a few weeks ago everybody was saying like is this the best team in English football ever and they haven't been you know that that fell apart with a couple of poor results. But they do have the possibility of building something very special. But football is rarely like that. And it's rarely been like that. Straight line and predictable. Yeah, it's just rarely like that. So I'm, I'm not ready to sort of hand Man City the title for four or five more seasons. I do think that other teams have got to go and react strongly. And I think that a lot of the turmoil that's going on sort of everywhere else is in part because Man City have just changed the optics a little bit on where they have to go. I do think Pep is like Robert Muller. He just knows more about the world than all those around him. He sees things differently. Let's hope so. Talking about seeing things differently, Rog, Man United 2, Chelsea 1. A full-throated start to this one saw Chelsea hit first behind a 30-second minute Willian strike that singed the back of the net. But just seven minutes later, rumbling Romelu Lukaku answered coolly, slotting past Thibaut Courtois. With the game tied at one, it was Premier League's answer to Eric Gordon, Jesse Lingard, who headed United to victory in a game between two managers with Omar Little Marlowe Stanfield level beef. Oh, 
such as the pre-game seething hatred, power jogging and chaos's ladder kind of geopolitics that then spooled over the last two months from Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho. Game almost felt like a sneak preview of Game of Thrones Book 6. So much bloody hatred. On our show, we talked about them being Italian Sarah Jessica Parker and Portuguese Kim Cattrall. I will say, Jose, he is such a Samantha, isn't he, David? He is a bit, but I actually thought that there were moments of almost these two guys putting everything behind them in this game. You know, it was an interesting reversal. If you remember the reverse fixture at Stamford Bridge where Mourinho waited for Conte out on the touchline, just waited for him. He went out first, total Mourinho power yep. move, and waited for him. Yep. This time, Conte did exactly the same thing, but he did it in a far more casual manner and just waited, saw Jose, and Jose walked up to him, and it was almost, it was, it was warm, very warm, Almost like, it was almost love story compared yeah, to what happened at Stanford Which Bridge. made me think, because I've watched this with J-Dubs, we watched it 87 times yesterday morning. Almost seemed pre-negotiated, David. Huh. Both men, if you look at the handshake, which we did, they kind of attacked each other from an angle which neutralized the other's ability <laughs> to do a power cobra move. Neither brought their other hand out. This is what made me think it was a fake handshake. Neither brought their other hand out of their pocket for an attempted, devastating, patronizing power pat. Mourinho throughout really hit a note of restrained elder statesman before the game, even in victory, was overly courteous. And I do think, I mean, this was two managers at moments of professional weakness for both of them before the game, having hand-to-hand combat on the roof of a speeding train mission impossible style. That would have been one way to kind of approach this game. Instead, I think it was to each other's advantage to neutralise their animosity, at least for one game. Uh, uh, the Pogba thing for Mourinho, the, the, the psycho telenovela that just is engulfing Manchester United, the, the medical staff being sucked into it, the obscure infantryman named Scott McTominay who's been sucked into the madness. Just better for both of them, though, that they're just like, you know, let's focus. For radical idea in the Premier League, let's focus on the football on this day for one day only. Yeah, I'm not sure I quite see that enormous narrative in the same way that you see it. I think we have a tendency to sort of lord Liverpool and Tottenham. You and I do it quite a lot with the football they play. And thanks to, oh, they're functional and everything's great. Man United are still likely to be in the top four at the end of the season. They're still a very, very good side. And Mourinho, you know, for most of the season has been the only side who could legitimately compete against Man City. They're out of that race right now, but he's been the only side. And they're still a bloody good football side. They feel like they're not quite clicking yet, but if I had to look forward to next season and still say who I think is the greatest threat to Pep and Man City, still Man United. I still believe, I still believe, no, we made the mistake believing in Everton this season. I still believe that Man United can go and do something. And I think they're a very good football team. Chelsea, yes, Conte is in a horrible situation at Chelsea, but I actually think he can hold his head up high. I think Chelsea came into this game having played really well against Barcelona despite dropping that goal. I think they played very good football in this game. From the off. Yeah, from the off. They almost played as if they were the home team. Yeah. Ideas, movement and hatred of Jose Mourinho giving them the upper hand. Azar, <laughs> is there any Premier League player who is more motivated by spite and vengeance? I look at him play against Jose Mourinho and I see myself in him. He's me if I was good at football. Yeah, I, I don't know, Rog. This is how you see football with spite and vengeance. My guess is that when the game starts, he's falling back on instinct and he's in the game and he's not motivated by spite and vengeance like a normal 
Bennett. He is he's motivated by his own brilliance and his sure little, desire to express I'm pretty himself sure there through was football. One, one minute he spoke words without having his hand in front of his mouth. And I'm pretty sure in Flemish he shouted, hate with reason, lads. Yeah. Advance, advance, hate with reason. When he pinged that early ball, oh, out to Alonso. That just flat drive that he spanked out to yeah. Alonso. That great, but no better looking one-two in football than Alonso to Morata. Yeah. And Morata hit the bar. I yeah. thought, Morata, worth $81 million, right? Yeah, I think so. Not as a footballer, but as a life model. Oh, he's gorgeous looking. He's a life model. He's good. I'd pay 78 for him as just how good he looks in, oh. the, in the Chelsea uniform. I'd love to draw him like a French girl. Yeah. Yeah, but as a striker. Yeah. Not so much. No, I think he's a good striker. I think he's just going through a little bit of a cold patch. He's a good striker. We usually give people credit for hitting the crossbar or hitting the post. It's like one of the odd things about football. It's like it's yeah. a miss, but yeah. we tend to say, oh, that great shot. He hit the crossbar, hit the post. It's still a miss. In, a, in America, We've now invented a in whole America, crossbar we challenge. Demonize, we demonize kickers that hit, like, is it yeah. Scott Norwood? Like yeah. the poor guy probably yeah. sleeps incredibly poorly, demonized by every American yeah. sports fan in England. You get credit for yeah. hitting the bar. I hit the bar, I hit the bar. It's like a, it, it's failure. a great thing. I know. When the ball pinged off the bar, yeah. cut to, Mourinho and Conte uh-huh. laughing overtly almost to draw our attention to the two of them laughing overtly on the sideline Yeah, Conte he looked like the new second husband of a powerful woman who just kind of run into her first husband awkwardly at a cocktail party having to listen to Jose keep asking questions like how is she? Does she ever talk about me? Does she you know does she cry my name in sensitive moments? <laughs> That's how I think about them. I know. So I was mainly watching the football in this game. I wasn't so into that whole part of it, Does but I like the fact that you did. Call my name. Uh, I digress because it was a second husband who drew first blood. Incredible counter-attacking football from Chelsea. Yeah, Throw back to the Champions winning season for me. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it was It was great football. It was speedy football. You know, Chelsea have got speed. They've, <sighs> they, they've played some football this season. They've made some shocking mistakes. But they've played some football this season that has been like really entertaining. Some of the more attractive football I remember seeing as a Chelsea fan. And they've scored some goals which are absolutely beautiful. This was a beautiful goal. Willian starting the move. Yeah. Linking up with Azard. Yeah. The hater. <laughs> and then Willian finished it. We've often wondered what would Manchester United be without De Gea's routine yeah. heroics week in, week out this season. And we yeah. glimpsed the answer briefly as, as he momentarily seemed merely human. They'd be mid-table, I would wager, without De Gea. Yeah. But Willian. He's yeah. found an extra gear this year, Dave. He's yeah, on, the, on the vibranium. Yeah, and also, Jose Mourinho gave him a lot of love before this clash midweek. And there's sort of a feeling that his contract may be up <laughs> and that maybe he was auditioning <laughs> to come play for Mourinho at Man United. But he's been reborn this season, the, the, the sort of back half of this season. It's been really good to go and see because he's a lovely... I tell you, watch that guy live. He plays football. He just loves football. He loves football. And at that moment, that ball goes in. And you're like, Conte, we got this! Hmm. I don't know. I sort of felt like it was going to be a very close game the whole time. The, the game at Stamford Bridge was a very close game that Chelsea won 1-0. You knew it was going to be close, although it was a odd confluence of events that led to uh, Man United's goal. Yeah, it was almost against a run of play. Goal from the most unlikely of sources in a big game. Yeah. Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, the big man. He knocked out Christensen, like, literally decked him, put him to the ground. I'm not saying that it, it was necessarily a foul. I and that, like great strength. Great but strength. it was that Christensen was not... He was just not there in the middle. He's been our best defender. I know he made that shocking mistake in the Champions League, but he's a really remarkable, remarkable young player. Uh, that kind of vision, that kind of hardness, that kind of intelligence for a, a player, that kind of skill for a player so young in that position. Uh, but he gets through, and Romelu did what 
you know, he has been often accused of, Rog, uh, mainly by you and me, of never being able to score in the big games, and he did it. His first United goal against a top eight opponent. Mm. How did that feel? Did it? Did you, you like struck by a sense that everyone who leaves Chelsea comes back to punish us? Apart from you, Matt Miazga. <laughs> no, that wasn't the first thing that occurred to me. I actually started thinking about how you were going to process it because you loathe Romelu Lukaku much more than I do. It was a good goal. It was well taken. I'm happy for him because he has been, since he left me, broke my heart, Yeah, been through a crucible of suffering. Uh-huh. And it was a reminder. I mean, his self-confidence, speaking to individuals in football, his self-confidence has evaporated. Uh, over the past two months to the point where he is asking himself questions about where he wants to play football Mm. in the medium term. And this game, the goal and the assist, was a reminder that there is a phenomenal, a phenomenal... He's almost like a Furby. He needs to be loved. He needs to be cuddled. He needs to be told Mm. that he's loved and that he's cuddled. And there's a phenomenal footballer, the footballer that we all think about with the hype of Romelu Lukaku. In this game, he met that. And to see that on a consistent basis would be yeah. to see an ecstatic footballer. Yeah, also helps when his opposing centre-back is lying on his back in the, uh, <laughs> in, in, at the edge of the area. So, but yeah, it was a good goal and nothing that, that completely surprised me. And then I thought the game really, it became my kind of game of football. Which is what, Dave? Because uh, really You don't br- like it. You don't like this kind of football. I like this how kind would you of descri- football. I, I'll tell you how I described it, yeah. but only after how you described it. People see things differently. How did you see this game of football? I I think it was tactical. I think it was cautious. I think neither team wanted to go and concede. And they were like probing. There was probing. They were testing. They were testing for weakness. They were switching the play. They were looking for the, the weaker link. And it, it, frankly, either team could have won this game, but only one team did. I, I agree with your description. I mean, I, the only thing I'd say, I, I believe it was two flawed teams, each painfully aware of their own weakness, both aware also that they're teetering on the edge of that race for fourth place which is in many ways the modern relegation zone for the superpower teams. And both teams were hyper-conscious about what could be lost rather than what could be won. Watching United in particular, cautious and unsure at home, Chelsea flicker and faint but tire, I was overwhelmed by just how much I missed one man, Davey. Diego Costa. I mean, I just watched that game and I thought, bloody hell, if he was there, if he was on that field turning Chelsea's muscle into a fist with which to smite all comers before obviously starting a fight and getting sent off. There just seemed to be no one on the field who was going to do whatever it took by all means necessary to get the win. Probably true, and yet it was a very, very good piece of play that led to the winner. It was a very, very good goal, and it was the tactical change. It was the switch, it was the substitute, it was Jesse Lingard who was having, sort of rather like Willian, he's having this sort of amazing uh, sort of second half of the season already, he comes on Romelu Lukaku. It sends an amazing ball into him, probably given a little bit too much space, but it's tough when your striker drifts wide. You kind of let them usually give them some space. You Handles. didn't expect the ball to be that good. Jesse Lingard makes an amazing run. Ball dips onto his head, and it's a great finish. And he is that player that believes he can do, by all means necessary, whatever is needed to get that win. That's what's remarkable about Lingard, his mental tenacity. He is a squad player. A late-blooming squad player on the periphery. But in his mind, he's a world-beater. He's a game-changer. He can score at will. His self-image is so remarkable because time and time again this season, he has been the difference-maker. He's also trying to make the World Cup squad, Rog. And you've got to bear that in mind in a World Cup year. Some of the performances that you start to see 
over the next few months. These are players desperate to go and make a World Cup squad. Fifth winner of the season for Lingard. Wakanda forever. Don't freeze. I never freeze. Chelsea, though, flat battery after that, David. Yeah. Mean, they were really exposed for what they are. This is controversial, maybe. Yeah. An average squad with a few shining stars. Collectively, they have excelled at times. But in this game, when needed, subpar, lacked a creator, especially when Hazard went off, or a finisher, Morata, a liability, a beautiful liability. They've got Manchester City, Barcelona upcoming. They're now outside the top four. Panic. Not really. Look, I predicted Chelsea to finish sixth this season. I think I'm gonna, they're going to be pretty close to it. I think right now in the top four race, they're not as good as Liverpool and Tottenham. And I think with his job not in jeopardy, you sort of fancy Jose Mourinho. Over the course of the season, I think Chelsea are every bit as good as Man United. And I think they have been aggregate two games, very close games. Either team could win. I don't think they're an average squad. I think Chelsea are a very, very good team. And I think they've got some very good players. They don't play the sparkling football that Liverpool and Tottenham do. But through the course of this season, they've been ahead of those teams. And I think that they'll probably you know, shift places around a little bit in the final games we've got to go this season. If Chelsea don't make the Champions League... This wasn't terminal to them before. The last time they didn't make the Champions League, they won the Premier League, Rog. So it's not a bad thing for them to go and have no European football. It just is Chelsea doesn't work with the logic that other teams work it's with. It's just like medieval crop rotation. A little bit. Their approach a to little football. Bit. Huge win for United and Mourinho. Steve Coogan once said, your average Englishman, if given the choice between his success and another man's failure, will always choose the other man's failure weird how rog latches onto that quote <laughs> if i got a tattoo i'm just saying it would be the entire body of work of steve coogan jose got to enjoy his success and probably more pleasing to him as he wafted around his bordeaux in the evening antonio conte's failure the style not always classic the ends justify the means never mind the quality feel the width united up to second most importantly how did seven-year-old george take the loss he was okay with it. I'm trying to raise him very much not to be like that Arsenal kid at the Carabao Cup. He does love watching good football. He likes goals. We watched the Jesse Lingard goal. He's quite excited about Jesse Lingard for England. So he, he's, he's supporting all of it. I don't want him getting too much into one team. Oh, you've got to introduce he him he to Dominic abs. He took the Palace loss pretty badly, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay, Liverpool. Four, West Ham, one. Goals from Emre Chan, Mo Salah, Bobby Chompers and Sadio Mane leave David Moyes scurrying to the nearest dark room. His hammers are in 13th place, Rog, but just three points from the drop. Jurgen Klopp's <sighs> run TMC remake, meanwhile, stay third, two points behind Man U. A comprehensive win. Most done liverpool like, Mostly because it was largely bereft of defensive insecurity and just because West Ham are the kind of team, a David Moyes team, who Liverpool struggle against. Robust, deep-lying, defensive first. And this Liverpool, this Liverpool on this day, were able to rout them. All three members... West Ham were awful, Rod. <laughs> West but, Ham were awful in this game. But Liverpool were just so joyous and scintillating and confident. All three members of the Trident, Salah, Firmino... Mane found the back of the net. Salah, goal number 31 this season. Confidence surging. The Liverpool fans chanting a song that he loves. If he's good enough for you, he's good enough for me. If he scores another few, then I'll be Muslim too. Which is genuinely astonishing. Hear Liverpool fans screaming, he's sitting in the mosque, that's where I want to be. Uh, I mean, he adores this chant. 
I've rarely heard a chant in football which cuts against the 1980s image of English football as the bastion of right-wing hatred and violence, David. At the same time, they did also boo Patrice Ever every single time he touched the ball and told him that he, he lied and he made it all up and, and whatever. So it wasn't all, <laughs> it wasn't all, all like, like wonderful stuff. They struggled initially to break down West Ham. They got a goal from a very unlikely source from a set-piece corner, Emre Chan header, which really started to break open the game. And then West Ham really offered nothing. Liverpool scintillating again and again and again going forward. But until West Ham brought on Mikel Antonio, they really had nothing to offer. Roberto Firmino, Bobby Chompers, as J-Dubs calls him, master of the no-look filth. His yeah. third no-look goal of the season. Liverpool fans, they love the no-looks. Yeah. But many of them, this is fascinating, they've started to hate it. They worry a miss is coming. A miss is coming when Bobby no-looks in a big game mm. and then hits the post. I think no-look goals. Apparently yeah. 14% of his goals this season have been no-look goals. <laughs> They're like autoeroticism. Yeah. The biggest thrill made even kind of thrillier than by the danger. The downside is you could just Michael Hutchins it, yeah, which this, makes it even more thrilling, David. This no-look goal without a goalkeeper in the goal was a little bit easier than, uh, than, than, than other ones. Oh, if you're listening, Bobby Chompers, just Google Michael Hutchins. Be yeah. safe. Crystal Palace nil, Tottenham won. A south of the River London derby that turned into a sloppy mush of a contest. The highlights of the game Spurs $32 million signing Serge Aurier's hat-trick of foul throw-ins and a Raz Sterling-esque <laughs> miss. A pair of smart reflex saves from never-stop, never-settle Wayne Hennessy and the ever-predictable Harry Kane winner. Spurs leapfrog Chelsea into the top four. Palace, meanwhile, out of the drop zone on goal difference alone. Oh, football, a cruel lover. It is, Roger, it is. Oh, Palace so organised, so committed, so defensively rigorous. Spurs struggling to click through the gears. Yet this Tottenham, unbeaten in calendar year 2018, when other teams would let the game drift away into a draw, they kept coming. And one man in particular, Harold Edward Kane. He'd had an afternoon of misfires, of half-speed decision-making. Yet he still comes through. I know, he's such a winner, Rog, such a winner. And not a typical Harry Kane goal, back post header, not really the sort of thing you see him do very often. Nickname that man, inevitable, 35th of the season, 24th in the league, poor Palace. They've got United, Liverpool, Chelsea to come. No Zaha, just on the edge, the precipice of the relegation zone. It's hard not to cheer for Roy Hodgson, David, 70. Yeah. Witnessing that Spurs goal just banged his head against the back of his seat like a man who's too old to know about memes. It was painful to see headbanging Roy Hodgson like Alexi Lalas at a rat concert. Should be living in Boca Raton in an assisted semi-retirement facility. Yeah, getting it ready for us, Rog. He's he's going to manage until his dying day, that man. I hope so. Okay, Stoke City won. Leicester won after a first-half Swiss stonker from Shaqiri. He's had a few of those this season. His third goal in three games. The Potters capitulate a lead that would have taken them out of the relegation zone. It happened in the 70th minute when Jack Butland, Rod, turned Mark Albrighton's cross into his own net to cap off a weekend of goalkeeping howling. Butland, momentarily, the Phil Jones of goalkeeping. He Mm. palmed the ball into his own net, which is a bold claim. For him to be England's starting goalkeeper in Russia, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Fairness to Butland, he did have the mental ability to rebound. He made a pair of outstanding yeah, saves did. down the stretch to preserve the points. But why would we mention them when we can just crap on him unfairly, David? <laughs> Balance! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brighton, four. Swansea, one. Proof that when it comes to football, seabirds are superior to Anseriphemies. Rog, 
in the ornithologist derby, the seagulls peck away at the swans and send them back into the relegation zone thanks to a brace from member of the Clean Plate Club, Glenn Murray for England. He's also the Clean Plate Club. He's, oh, he's like not, got a few problems in sector 3.1. I think a two hair transplants at least would yeah. say no on that one. But scorer of his ninth and tenth goals of the season at 34 years of age, you made the case, David, because of his time with the Wilmington Hammerheads. Yeah. Surely he could... Yeah, no, I know his agent quite well. And his agent was sort of saying, oh, he's like, you know, Glenn Murray for England. And I was like, well, maybe for his time with the Wilmington Hammerheads, he must qualify for the U.S. men's national team, Rog. Dave Sarakan, we know you're listening. If Glenn Murray talked German, yeah. had fallen out with his former U.S. serviceman dad. And was a little older. Was a bit older. <laughs> He'd be starting for the he U.S., right? He would be. He'll only be 39 in the next World Cup, for yeah. God's sakes. Get on it. West Brom won Huddersfield two goals from the Terriers-Dutch Beninese combo of Raji Van Lapara and Steve Mounier leaves the baggies nailed to the bottom of the table. Huddersfield are in 14th place after their first back-to-back win since the first two matches of the season. Up the Terriers. Absolutely. David Wagner's visions. There is life in the north. 6.6 goals in their past two matches after a dark spell. But darkness for things both Brom and West, right, David? Very, very true. Seem all but relegated. Chaos in the locker room. Spanish break went Ori for the senior players who stole the taxi. And you know Pards, David. Mm. He reinstated a ringleader of the tomfoolery, Johnny Evans, went on television and said, God teaches us to forgive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, he's a manager known for making an immediate impact, and he has made one at West Brom. It's just yep. a bad one in the wrong direction. Yeah, I'd say we lose West Brom. Do we call life on West Brom? Mm. They've fallen below the surface with barely a whimper. I'd venture they're the lowest supported team in America. We know Sunderland fans, a lot of them. We yep. know Swansea are incredibly well supported in America. Yeah, but West Brom, were you ever really there? Yeah, send us your stories, West Brom fans in America. We really, genuinely would love to hear from you. How? Why and what are you feeling? Burnley won, Southampton won. A last gasp winner from Italian super sub Manolo Gabbiadini rescues a point for the Saints who move out of the relegation zone into 16th. The Clarets remain in 7th place, Rog, but have now failed to win in their last 11 Premier League games. Bournemouth 2, Newcastle 2. The Cherries storm back from 2-0 down, scoring twice in the last 10 minutes to snatch a point. Bournemouth slipped to 11th. The Tune of 15th, just two points from safety. And then finally, Rog, Watford won. Everton, nil. Troy Deeney pays Rog back for all of those fat Drake jokes, scoring the game's lone goal in the 79th minute, lashing the ball past oh. young Jordan Pickford. Rogelio. Discuss. Oh, the Jerry De La Feo Memorial Derby. Yeah. Oh, God, I'd say hoops were so high before kickoff. Really? Yeah. In the Bennett household? Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, we'd won only once in 21 away games. Yeah. But the lads had been off in Dubai for the week. Yeah. Big Sam talking about bonds tightened, limbs refreshed. This was a team ready to push on for Europa League glory. And crap, you're not, Davo. Before the game, Big Sam was going hard into this, saying how he wanted to be at Everton, not for the short term, not just to relate relegate. He wants to be here for four years, he said. So he could lead us to the glory of a new stadium. I, uh-huh. I do want the Department of Justice to appoint a special counsel. This was the worst thing in sports <laughs> since Fergie sang the national anthem. You know when you watch the marathon, the New York marathon, yeah. and, and you go out and you cheer the leading runners and then they've gone and then the amateurs, but good runners, yeah. charge past. And then you've got the have-a-go heroes. Yeah. And then you've just got this huge body of like people in costumes and funny kilts and stuff. And then there's a lull. <laughs> And then the walking wounded just kind of like 
five or six hours in, they are barely upright. Yeah. They're staggering down the course. It's like the walking dead. It's just, it's just a mess of like runner's nipples and human debris and feces and agony. That's what it was like watching this game. 22 human beings barely hanging on while Big Sam just spat one piece of chewing gum after another onto the field. Oh. It was unredeeming. Dreck. So what do you predict for Everton for the rest of the season, Rog? <sighs> Where are they going? Are they going to get sucked back into the relegation fight? It's a fight? dark time. I'll just say quarter of a billion dollars does not buy you very much on the evidence of the progress. I, hope, I think most importantly, the lessons learned, the how-not-tos by yeah. Farhad Mashiri with that first round of investment, which a quarter of a billion dollars into a garbage can set on fire may well have been yeah. as advancing Everton yeah. as what he has done. So his learning curve and also the big game changer for Everton is this move to the new stadium. Yeah. Can we get there? How can we get there? Can we get there bloody quickly? Yeah. The leadership is um, everything for a mid-table team in terms of getting a competitive edge. We don't have it. In this game, a moment of individual brilliance. So gobsmacking, you wonder... Why weren't there more moments from Trodini? Trodini. He made goal scoring look so easy. That incredible blast. It had to be you, Fat Drake. It had to be you. Sex, love, pain, baby. I'd be on that tank shit. Buzz so big, I could probably sell a blank disc. I imagine he scored the goal and then went down to a supermarket in Miami and brought everybody's groceries. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. We did see uh, DCL's abs, though. They were impressive, Rod. (sighs) That's for my other pod. Yeah. Today in Dominic Calvert-Lewin's abs. Okay, Rog, in Togger. Big ups to our Togger winner for the week, Soren K. Also to Danny in St. Paul, Minnesota, and Lou Roth for victories that we failed to mention in game weeks past. Patches are on the way to you. Sign up for our Togger League. Come for the camaraderie. Stay for the Richarlison. (laughs) In MLS, Rog. It's Eagle Scream Season, She's spelled S C N. Rog, 2018 MLS action kicks off this weekend. Oh, 23rd season. Remarkable achievement we too often take for granted. A new era in MLS. The dinosaur franchises like New England and Colorado were augmented by teams like Kansas City and Portland, teams who had true ambition and delirious fan cultures. Now, There's the emergence of clubs with true footballing philosophies, savvy back offices, sophisticated transfer plans, scouting, stats teams. Stats. And youth development visions. Great young South American players as DPs as opposed to old Premier League dinosaurs. They got TAM and they're going to use it. So we enter a season in which Toronto, Atlanta, Seattle, NYCFC have really spent heavily probably the most rounded rosters in league history going into battle as opposed to a couple of stars and a whole lot of filler. Perlo, Kaka gone in their place. A crop of young stars on the rise. Looking forward to watching 18-year-old Ezekiel Barco at Atlanta, mm. Paraguayan Jesus Medina at NYCFC, and 19-year-old Uruguayan Diego Rossi at LAFC. Mm. New friends too, that whole club LAFC, a new yeah, franchise. looking forward to it. Are you, are you really? Yeah, tasty shirt, that black and gold number. Is everyone outside your apartment in uh, in Hollywood? Are they yeah. all just the streets of buzz? Streets of buzz. It's a sea of black and gold, Roger. Oh. No, I'm going to be going down there. I don't. I know they don't play their home game, first home game for a, a few match weeks, but I'm looking forward to going and seeing LA. I see. A new franchise that they are. It's been one of the most disciplined media marketing strategies in the build-up that I've seen. But the mm. truth will now be on the field. We've actually got Tom Penn 
LAFC's president coming on a pod special hmm. to talk about how you build a club from the ground up, from nothing to everything. That's and, interesting. And what fills his fears as he goes to bed at night right now. Brilliant. A full slate of MLS games on national television this Sunday. It begins at 5 p.m. Eastern time with the Seattle Sounders hosting LAFC on ESPN. Then flip over to Fox Sports 1 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time for Sporting KC versus NYCFC. That's followed by the Galaxy versus the Timbers at 10. Can I say we're gutted for Jordan Morris. He's going to be out for the season. We wish you a young talent the ability to come back stronger and more resilient. Absolutely. Lovely, lovely young man. Okay, Rog, more than MLS coming to these shores this week. The 2018 She Believes Cup featuring the USA, England, France and Germany. It's quite a lineup. Kicks off Thursday. Games will be held in Columbus, Orlando and just across the river from us in Harrison, New Jersey. A game you will be at bald and in person, Rog. US women's team. They're at a fascinating inflection point, Dave. A vendor punct between the old and the new talent, still trying to lock in the playing style that can compete at the forthcoming World Cup with the tactically savvy European threats. Stakes are high, real friction between the players and the management. I'll be there on Sunday in New York, cheering on the US with my daughter's under-19, hmm. who are, I can report, to a player, ready to step in if called upon to take the field alongside Mallory Pugh. You might bring my kids out to that game on Saturday. That sounds brilliant. Uh, Yeah, the USA kicks things off this Thursday, though, Rog, uh, evening against Germany in Seabus. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Deuce. And that game against France is also televised, Rog. That's at noon Eastern time on ESPN The Deuce. Also, this week's poet, philosopher, soccer, scribe, Raven of the Week comes from Kim Merritt of Virginia Beach. This is a moving one, Rog. Kim writes, as a male Kim, after being a listener for quite a few years now, I felt obligated to drop you a thank you note. Now, I'm sure you're wondering why I could possibly be thanking you for filling my ears with crap for years, but hear me out. One of the tenets of your show has always been the elevation of the balls. Now, as a well-coiffed man, this literally meant nothing to me until I got diagnosed with stage 4 cancer back in September of 2016. I was fully prepared to lose my hair right out of the gate after having been subliminally indoctrinated (laughs) for this moment, but for some reason, my hair proved to be harder to get rid of than Marouane Fellaini. About a month ago, like putting Joey Barton into a game, bad things happened and I had to change drugs. One week later, I stepped out of the shower with literal hands full of my own hair. Now, I could have freaked out, but instead, I just grabbed the clippers and my razor and set to work. When I was done, only one thought popped into my head. Balds win. Balds oh, win. Oh, Kim. means the world. Kim. We are humbled yeah. by your letter. And, yeah. and that something as insufferable, frankly, as our podcast can yeah. bring. And such, our baldness. Yeah, t- both. It's a joy to you. We can't imagine what you and your family are going through. We wish you strength and love uh, in all that's to come. We want to send you a Balds win t-shirt get email us tell us where we can send it and what size and we are absolutely indebted for your taking time to listen to this crap i will say one note about our 102nd television show mm-hmm. it is a beautiful thing to celebrate most of all i was just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude to all you gfops like kim for your love and support and the honor to do this crap which we all never take for granted. Okay, your Premier League weekend looks like this. It starts at 7.30am Eastern Time on NBCSM with Burnley 
hosting Everton, Rog, then at 12.30 oh, that why day. Why bother? Liverpool versus Newcastle. And Sunday at 11, it's Man City versus Chelsea. All of those games on NBCSN. There are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? A book. Oh. Rise and Kill First by Ronan Bergman. Huh. It's one of the most remarkable books I've read in a long, long time. An Israeli journalist with unparalleled sources in the Israeli Secret Service, Mossad spymasters say, he arcs out a history of that nation's state assassinations from the early days of the pre-state in the 1940s when the British were the target. Your ancestors, David. Mm. German nuclear scientists helping Egypt and Syria build a bomb both in wartime to try and prevent a war and for a period in a particular hawkish era to try and, it seems, start one. The book is on one level a rollicking cascade of spy stories, breathtakingly creative operations that go right, many, many, many gone wrong. I've never read a 750-page book so fast. But above all, it's an ethical exploration of the question facing every country, even the most democratic nations, use violence and ultimate force But at what points do those acts of violence in the name of self-defense become an end in themselves? You could ask the same question about Nicholas Otamendi, David. Absolutely, Rog. Uh, You notice the shirt I'm wearing today, Rog? Handsome. Says spring is here. I know. It's from Drake's, Rog. Uh, This is not a paid endorsement. We wish it was a paid endorsement. Uh, Drake's, uh, this is for New York City GFOPs. Go to the new Drake store. It's on Crosby Street in Soho. I think it's just north of Broom on Crosby. That's how I imagine your wardrobe to look. Literally, you and I spoke about this because I said, you've got to go to Drake's. You said, I went there. I went there, Davo. And like, literally, I could have bought everything in the store. You could have bought everything in the store. Everything. Different sizes. Ties, everything, different sizes. Um, but, oh my God, what a remarkable store for shirts, for ties, for smart stuff. If you don't want to look like everybody else at J. Crew, just go to Drake's. How Super would you describe stuff. the style, David? It's sort of classic... English tailoring, but just a bit sportier, I would say. There's something a bit sporty. The ties are superb. I must say, we all own too many crap ties. Other than our Men in Blazers ties, the Warpig tie, the actual Crap Cat tie, which are really <laughs> well made at General Knot. But the ties at Drake's, this is what they're really known for, is their, 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 their neckwear. Um, but it's the, the ties are superb. <sighs> Invest in like two or three great ties. You don't need any more than that. When I walked out of that Drake's for the first time, I felt like Lady Chatterley's lover. Beautiful store. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy, underscore Davis, on Facebook. Men in Blazers, you can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap pile of the Soho. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex my tombo? I like snacks. Balls win. Balls win. Take that, Gloria. For today, balls win again. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you too, Rog. And remember, the Reverend Alan Pardew says, God teaches us to forgive. Yeah, I'm not sure he's at West Bromwich Albion. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>